Oh, I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning. I feel so much better than I did last week. We may just go for a couple of hours here this morning, all right? If you've got a Bible, I want you to find the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter. Taking these snapshots of Jesus this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus as one who was called to duty. Last week, we were looking at Matthew's summary statement of the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Matthew and Mark majored to a large extent on that Galilean ministry that lasted about 18 months of our Lord's ministry. Those months were probably interrupted several times by brief visits to Jerusalem, but those visits never lasted long because Jesus knew every time he went to Jerusalem, it was going to be a point of contention, it was going to be a time of conflict, and it was not yet his time. Luke, however, majors on the last period of Jesus' ministry, about six months, he really focuses in hard. That's the bulk of his gospel. He talks about the later Judean ministry, followed by a time of ministry in Perea and Decapolis, a region that's to the east side of of the Jordan River, out of the area of Galilee. He moved back and forth across the river. And this morning, I want us to read what some might refer to as an interlude, a transition period between the transfiguration of our Lord and his arrival in Jerusalem. The text is found in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to begin in a moment reading at verse 43 and read down through verse 56. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm reading all of that to give you two things. Number one, a good exposure to the Word of God this morning. And secondly, a context for what lies in the middle of that. Because when it's all said and done, we're really going to focus on one verse. That's the pivot point. Now... Before I go any further, though, I want to ask a question. Do we have any men or women here this morning who were drafted into military service? Not enlisted, but were drafted. Okay, three of you? Okay, when you were drafted, I'm going to ask you a question, and I I know the answer you can give me, not the one I'm looking for. When you were drafted, what did you do? Went to training. Went to training. Went to training? What's training? Okay. Why? Totally different from what I was doing. Okay. I'm going to tell you why. You went because you were called to duty. When we are called to duty, we're called to an activity, an action that is totally different than what we would call normal. Now, you were in the Army, you were in the Navy, you were Army. Let me just ask you, is anything about Army life or Navy life normal? (laughs) Is it anything like civilian life? No. It calls you to do something other than what everyone else is doing. The people that you left behind, they weren't doing what you were doing. It was totally different. I want you to see this morning with me that Jesus was called to duty. What he was doing was different than what everyone else was about. All right? 
to find that, we need to read from the Word of God. So if you've got your Bible open to Luke chapter 9, find verse 43. Once you've found that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 43, Jesus has come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. He has just cast a demon out of a demon-possessed person. And now we read, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now before we close, I want to ask you, if you have God's word in hand, to look back. And read once more verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. And I pray that it would take root in our lives, that we might understand what's contained in it, that you would show us and teach us that which we need to know today. And Father, I pray for us in this room. If there's one here who does not know you, that today you would shine a light into their hearts, revealing the sin, revealing the Savior, drawing them to yourself. Father, I pray for my brethren, for my brothers and sisters in Christ That this morning, as we look upon your word, that you would challenge us to look at the way we live life and the lives we have chosen to engage in. Father, today, convict us, change us, correct us, make us into a people whose lives bring glory and honor to you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. 
I, I told you that in the middle there was a pivot point. That pivot point is verse 51. Where we read, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. It's a marvelous major pivot point, a turning point in the ministry of Jesus because it's his time to leave Galilee, to turn southward and to move back into Judea, to Jerusalem. It was a decision that set him on course to conflict and put him squarely on a collision course with the cross of Calvary. This was the moment in time. I want you to understand something. It wasn't an easy decision, and it was not an easy choice, and it was not easily done. You say, well, why did we have to read all that stuff around it? I told you, I wanted to put it in context, but I also want you to see something. In the midst of all the busyness, he had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Y'all remember the Mount of Transfiguration, right? I hope some of you do. If you don't, you need to go home and you need to read the beginning of Luke chapter 9, okay? Jesus goes up onto the mountain. He's taken three of his closest friends with him. They're off at a distance watching, and lo and behold, some strangers appear. But they weren't just any strangers. Who were they? Moses and Elijah. And there Jesus was transformed, hence the name transformation. He began to glow. He began to take on a heavenly appearance they didn't understand, they had never seen before. They'd been with him for years now. They hadn't seen this happen before, but they realized that something amazing was happening. They observed all of this. Peter says, man, let's start a building program. We're going to have more people we know what to do with. He, he wanted to put up shelters for all three of them. The Lord said, that's not necessary. They came down off the mountain, and what they found when they came down off of the mountain was that his other disciples who had been left behind were engaged in ministry down there and they were failing miserably happens sometimes real simple analogy there if you want to know what happens when you minister without Jesus present you're going to fail all right, And that's what was happening. Jesus came and he interjected the power and all of a sudden that healing took place and everybody was amazed at everything that was going on. And, and, and then we picked up the reading from that point, you remember? And he begins to teach his disciples and he's teaching them and they don't understand everything that's going on. And, and he's trying to explain to them, I'm going to be handed over to men and I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die. And, and, and they're not sure exactly what all that means and they get so distracted by it, they just decide to have an argument about who's going to be the greatest. How many of y'all have raised kids? Don't you know that Jesus felt like he was raising kids for the most part when he was dealing with his disciples? I mean, he's trying to tell them something important, and they get into a fight over who's going to be greatest. Oh, I'm better than you are. Well, no, you're not. Well, he said I was because, guys, you're missing the point. And here's Jesus trying to explain this to them. And, and, and then all of a sudden, well, here's somebody, and, and they're doing good things, and they're, they're saying it in Jesus' name, but they don't, they don't travel with us. They don't know Jesus. They're not part of our merry little band of soldiers. So do we need to stop? No, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. We're going to pass through Samaria on our way to Jerusalem. So he sends a couple out ahead to make arrangements. I mean, you, you got you know, a good-sized group. you got to arrange for food and shelter. And the people weren't receptive because they were, not because of who they were, but because they were going to Jerusalem. Rather than stopping and, 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 and worshiping there, 
in Samaria at Mount Gerizim with the Samaritans. He was going on to Jerusalem. Well, they thought that was a slight. So, you know, and here's James and John. Man, I love these guys, you know. Hey, Lord, how about this? Let's just pray and ask God to send down thunder and lightning and zap these people. They're not going to treat you right. We're going to, let's knock them out. Oh, boys, you, you don't understand the spirit you're supposed to exude. I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. All of this stuff's going on. All of these things I've just described are happening. Okay? How many of y'all are really good at multitasking? A few of you, maybe? God bless you. The rest of us, not so much. But here's Jesus with all this stuff happening around him. He just came off of the mountain. He, he dealt with the, a, a, a young man who was demon-possessed, and, and, and now they're traveling, and the arguments are breaking out, and here's somebody else doing something and distracting his guys, and, and, and then they get word that the village won't receive him, and they want to destroy All of this is going on. In the middle of all of that, smack in the center of it, is where you find verse 51. It's turning time. It's time to pivot. It's time to begin the journey to the climax of the ministry. And Satan's doing everything he can to distract before and after and all around and on top of. Satan's good at that, isn't he? Isn't that how he works in your life? He doesn't mind. If the Lord wants me doing something, Satan's going to do everything he can to try to distract me, to turn me away from it, to get me off track. That's exactly what's happening here. In the middle of all of this, however, we read this about Jesus. When the days were approaching for his ascension. I love the way it says that. It doesn't say for his death or his betrayal or his trial or his crucifixion or his burial. No, his ascension. Because the ascension was when Jesus was lifted from this earth back to glory. So, you know, we're talking about not the hard part, but the glory part. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Let's focus on that. Why would that be the case? Why would he be so focused on going to Jerusalem. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's because Jesus had one great mission. One great mission. Listen, I, I've talked to somebody just a couple of weeks ago, and the guy was, well, I think Jesus was a great man. No argument from me. I, I agree. Jesus was a great man. He was a great man in a multitude of ways. He was a great teacher. I mean, he taught with words and with authority that no one had ever spoken before. He knew how to take the existing word of God, the prophecies and so forth, and take those and pin them together in such a way that it, it taught about the kingdom in a way that people had never heard before. But that was not his primary mission, to be a great teacher. He was a wise man. He had wisdom greater than anyone who had ever walked the earth before him. He had greater wisdom than anyone who has walked the earth since him. He was the wisest of all because he was God in flesh. But that's not what he came to show us. Jesus was a miraculous man. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. Never has there been someone who could walk on water. Or turn the water into wine. 
or give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and make the leper whole or make the dead living. And, and I mean, there have been instances where God used the, one of the prophets to do one of these things, but not to do all of these things and to do them day in and day out over and over again in place after place after place. Nothing has ever been seen like this. But still, the one mission of Jesus is beyond all of that. Jesus' mission from the beginning to the ending was to die. To die so that we could live. I heard a preacher say one time that Jesus came to preach the gospel. Now, understanding the word means good news, yes, Jesus did come to preach good news. But I want to tell you something more. I think Jesus came so that there might be a gospel to preach. Because without him, there is no good news. Everything that he said, everything that he did, everything that he was about pointed toward his passion, pointed toward his moving to the cross. It was necessary for him to live a perfect, sinless life so that he might become and be revealed as the Lamb of God without spot or blemish who takes away the sin of the world. Understand, his life itself lived in perfection without sin was not the sin offering. Scripture plainly reveals that when we experience salvation, that salvation by which we are justified in God's sight, it is not through the life of Jesus, but rather it is through the death of our Savior. Because it was in dying that he shed his blood, atoning for our sin and making our redemption possible. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This was his mission. This was why he came. That was his purpose. That's what he was set on when it says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was going to go and pay the penalty for our sin. So that we might be set free. So that we might be given life. So that we might have hope. And so that we might understand the gospel that we are called to share. Oh, friends, that's what he was focused on. With all the distractions, Jesus still saw the cross. When I read verse 51, I see that mission. But when I read verse 51, I also see Jesus' decision to act. It would have been so easy to get distracted by everything that was going on. But understand, moments of decision, no matter who you are, are of monumental importance. You guys that stuck your hands up a while ago and said you had been drafted in the military service, you had to have a moment of decision. You decided to act. You were either going to submit to that authority and report for duty, or you were going to turn tail and you were going to go elsewhere. It happens in every life. Those of us who are called by the name of Christ, we have the same decision to make. Every born-again believer has been called to duty, and yet many choose, rather than reporting, to turn tail and run somewhere else, hide themselves away, try not to be a part of what's going on. 
One of the most important decisions that any of us ever make is when we will do something. When we will undertake a special activity, a special action, a special direction. Jesus felt that it was necessary for him. He had done everything else he had come to do. It was time to turn and go. He was leaving Galilee. Can I just tell you something? That wasn't easy. Galilee was home. It's where he'd grown up as a little boy. Around that lake in those villages. It's where most of his friends were from. These people, they, they, they spoke like him. Now, I say that, and a lot of y'all look at me like, so? Fifteen years ago when I came up here, I had a lot of people that looked at me and said, where are you from, boy? I promise you, if you listen to a recording of my voice from 15 years ago and recording my voice today, my speech has altered. I've become Kansified. But when I came up here, I was carrying a lot of Southern Oklahoma-isms. And I still look at y'all, some of y'all funny when you try to say you all. Everybody knows it's y'all. You see, there was a different vernacular in Galilee than what there was in Judea. And Jesus was at home in Galilee. Those were his people. That's where he had grown up. That's where he had learned to talk and to speak. And that's the vernacular that he had. And that's the accent that he had. And I know people say, well, there's not any difference. Yes, there is. If you remember when Jesus was on trial and Peter was there around the trash can, the, the, the burn, burn barrel, if you want to call it that, and he was recognized that night, somebody said, you must be one of his disciples. You talk like a Galilean. Yeah, there was a difference. See, Jesus understood what it was to live in Galilee. It was different. And the people there, the people there loved him. They would willingly have made him their political king. If he was willing to lead a, a revolt against Rome, they were ready to put him on the throne right now. Let's go to war. With a man who's got the kind of power and authority that he has, surely we can't lose. That was the reason that whenever he took his trips to Judea during his ministry, when he went to Jerusalem, they were always brief visits because there was so much conflict and there was so much contention and he was so revealed and exposed before the Roman authorities and it wasn't his time and so he would have to go back to Galilee and continue his ministry there. But at this point, verse 51, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He made a decision to act, knowing where it was going to lead him, what it was going to culminate in, what it was going to cost. How could he do that? How could he do that? The only thing that I can tell you is that it required complete surrender. To his purpose. Complete surrender to his purpose. I love the way that it says this. He was determined to go. 
Now, some of you are holding other translations in your hands, and your translation may say this. He set his face toward Jerusalem. The implication is that he set his eyes on that goal. He set his jaw firmly, and he began a journey from which he refused to be distracted, to be turned, to be deterred, and he would not look back. Everything he had come for was ahead of him. And he was completely surrendered to that purpose, to that reason. Everything that happens in the remainder of the Gospel of Luke, everything that occurs from Luke 9.52 to the end of the book is influenced by the looming shadow of the cross at Calvary. The rest of the gospel clearly shows us Jesus moving toward Jerusalem where he would confront the religious leaders, where he would be rejected by his own people, where he would be crucified, buried, and would rise again. He accepted this divine plan that the Father had for him, for his life. Now, I want you to hear me very, very well, friends. He did it voluntarily. Jesus was completely surrendered. And so when the Father whispered in his ear, it's time. And he turned toward Jerusalem. He did it because he wanted to. Make no mistake. Jesus was not some helpless victim who was taken down by the Roman authorities and put to death. He willingly gave himself. And my brothers and sisters, that is the true meaning of dedication. To say, Father, whatever it is you want from me, whatever it is you want from me, no matter what it might cost me, I give it. The word dedicate in our language, is very similar to the ancient word consecrate. They, they both come from a root, which means to be cut off. When I say to be cut off, to be separated from the rest. And when we use it in biblical discussion, in biblical terminology, we're talking about being separated for a special purpose cut off from everybody and everything else for the use of God and God alone. When we are dedicated to Him, when we are consecrated to Him, we are cut off from the rest of the world. We are separated from Him or for Him, by Him, for holy living and unselfish service to the kingdom. A lot of people just can't figure out, what's that look like? What's that mean? I like history. So let me give you an example from history. 1914, World War I breaks out. It was bloody. It was brutal. It was warfare in a way that warfare had never been seen before. Technological advances had changed what warfare looked like. 
rapid-fire weapons, chemical weapons. Everything was changed. And as a result, the slaughter was immense. The death toll across Europe was unlike anything that had ever been seen in warfare up to that point. On this side of the Atlantic, America tried to stay neutral. We, We didn't want to get involved in it. But finally, ultimately, in 1917, America realized this is going to go on forever unless we step in and weigh the scales one way or the other. And so it was agreed in the halls of leadership in our nation that we would send our military to join the Allies. General Jack Pershing was the leader of all U.S. forces. He went to Europe knowing that the men that he was bringing, the weapons that he was bringing, the military might that he was about to unload into Europe was, in fact, that which would determine the outcome of this conflict. But it had already been decided among the Allies... that General Foch of France was to be the Allied Commander-in-Chief. And so Pershing, even though he probably was equal to, if not greater than, General Foch, walked into him when he arrived and said, our men, our equipment, our supplies are yours to use as you wish. That surrender, that dedication, changed the outcome. What kind of change would our world see if every Christian man, woman, boy, or girl would surrender to God and say, my time, my talents, my money, my enthusiasm, my testimony... It's all yours to use as you wish. How might that change the outcome for lives in our neighborhoods, in our community, across our state, across this nation, or around the world? The question for so many of us is how dedicated are we? I mean, a lot of folks are dedicated on Sunday morning. They get out of bed, have a donut, some coffee, and they're at church. Here to win the war. The problem is the war is not fought here. The war is fought out there. It's not fought on Sunday morning. It's fought on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Oh, yeah, and on Sunday when we walk out the doors. So how dedicated are we really? A man who's fallen out of favor in our country today, but I still like a lot of what he said. General Robert E. Lee made the statement, you can never do more than your duty, but you should never wish to do less. You know what the truth of the matter is for me as a born-again believer? I want you to hear me. God called me to preach when I was 14 years old. I preached my first sermon about a week and a half after he called me to preach. And I've told you this before, folks. 
You can go to my home church and find the few remaining people who have not gone on to be with the Lord that were there. And they will tell you probably the best sermon I ever preached. Because I preached from Genesis to Revelation in three minutes flat. (laughs) You can do that when you're nervous and you talk and don't ever stop to breathe. And you really don't know what you're supposed to say anyway. But I'm going to tell you something I've learned. My dad repeated it to me a couple of months ago when I was visiting with him. And we were talking about the fact that he couldn't go and see people anymore. He couldn't visit homes like he used to and had for decades. And he looked at me and he said, Tim, you know it's true what's said in that song. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Friends, can I tell you something this morning? It's not about duty. It's about love. I love him, but I love him because he first loved me. He called me out of my sin. He saw me when I was a worthless, dead sinner, and he gave me life and called me out and gave me a purpose, and I am dedicated to that purpose, not because of duty, but because of love. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because he loved me, and he loved you. And if you've never experienced that love, I want you to know something today. You are missing out on God's greatest gift for you. And you don't have to miss it for another day. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. So that whoever, that means anybody, anybody who believes in him would never perish but have eternal life. He offers it. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. It's a good thing because you couldn't. It's a gift. All you have to do is receive it. And this morning, if you've never received it, I invite you. I beg you. I, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Please consider receiving this gift that God offers you today. I'll promise you one thing. It will change your life change mine let's bow our heads together in just a moment we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation I, I don't know what it is that the Lord may be speaking to your heart this morning maybe you're here and you need a relationship with him maybe you've never before called out to him and said Lord Jesus I'm a sinner I need you to forgive me I need you to wash my sin away I want you to become My master, I want you to move into my heart. Take up residence in my life. Make me a new creation. My friend, if you'll call out to him today and tell him that, he'll do it. Maybe today's that day. Maybe you want someone to help you, someone to visit with you, pray with you. Come, we'll we'll be happy to do that. Maybe my brother, sister in Christ, you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what? God's given me a purpose. He's given me a mission. He's given me a calling. He's placed someone on my heart. I haven't fulfilled that. I haven't been faithful to that. I haven't sold out to that. I haven't taken care of that. I've ignored it. I've been waiting for somebody else to step up and do it in my place. Quit. Today, say yes. Surrender to his will. Let him have control. Maybe you're here and you've been looking for a church home. This is the place that God's led you. And you've been worshiping here and you say, you know what? I need to be connected to the body of Christ. I need to have accountability. I need to have fellowship. I need to have Christian friends. I need to be a part of this body of believers. Then come. 
Unite with this body of believers. Follow the Lord in baptism. Move your church letter. Do whatever it is you need to do. We'll help you get it done, but let's, let's put ourselves in a position to be used by God to accomplish His will through our lives. Whatever that requires, let's do it today. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for a Savior who would not be distracted. Who set his eyes on the prize and refused to be turned aside. Who was always willing to march right through the distractions and the difficulties and the disruptions. So that right on time, right on target, he could arrive at the cross to pay the price for me and for all who believe in his name. Now, Father, I pray that this morning as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ, who was called to duty, who faithfully discharged his calling, Father, I pray that we would consider what it is you're calling us to. There are some in this room you may be calling to an appointment to be saved. I pray for them, Father. Convict them, draw them, change them, transform them that we might celebrate with them. I pray for my brothers and sisters who perhaps have have got sidetracked and, and let life pull them away from the mission, the calling, the purpose. Father, may your Holy Spirit today draw us back and focus our eyes upon the task at hand and the mission before us. Father, whatever it is that you may be calling us to, whatever it is you may be leading us toward, I pray that you would find us to be submissive, surrendered, and sold out to accomplish your purpose. Have your way, Father. Be glorified, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.